Welcome to Locked on Heat. On today's show, we're discussing a question we got on Twitter about who the Heat's all-time defensive team would include. There's a lot of players to consider, and we'll break down what we each believe would be the best group. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. Let's get to the show. You are Locked on Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm a credentialed writer covering the Heat in the NBA for Fansided. You can find me on Twitter at WC Goldberg. And I'm David Ramil, credentialed NBA writer who's covered the Heat and League at Large for SB Nation and Fansided. You can follow me and my writing on Twitter at DRamil13. This has been a fun week of shows. On Monday, we posted the first ever episode of our game show, Heating Up. And then the mailbag went up on Wednesday where we talked about what would the Heat look like if Carmelo Anthony had signed with them in 2014 and a bunch of and if Dwayne Wade will sign in China and a bunch of other stuff. On today's show, we'll be answering a question um, that we got on Twitter that we got a few weeks back. We saved it because we wanted to build a whole show around it once all of the free agency stuff was done. So here we go. From at Heatside asks, what would Miami's all-time defensive five be? So I've got to ask, do you think this is a Whiteside burner account? He's just trying to make sure that we include him at center? <laughs> There's not a non-zero chance that that's the case. <laughs> okay. Um, so let, let's we're going to break this up by position. We'll start at center and then make our way to forwards and then to guards. And then at the end, we'll name some honorable mentions as well. So let's start with the center position. This, I think, David, should be pretty easy. Who's your starting center for Miami's all-defensive team? Well, you know, it, it's not as easy as you'd think. You know, there are... You know, the thing about defense, obviously, is that it has evolved. Off- offenses have evolved as well. And so you take that into consideration. You look at, mm. you know, most recently, Hassan Whiteside, very effective at the center position as a defender. Um, he, he, you know, his his challenge on defense is different than other players on, on Miami's all time roster have been. You know, he gets a lot of players run off the perimeter funnel towards him, so that he can lead the league in blocks as he did a couple seasons ago. He can impact shot selection. He's a very, very good defender. I think that's still the case, even though there are games where he's not as effective as he should be. But you look before that, Chris Bosh at center. Obviously, a huge factor there. Uh, responsible, I think, for for the league-wide transformation into small ball. Um, seeing him evolve defensively, where he can guard, you know, ball handlers out on the perimeter, and then switch. You know, they would ice a, a ball handler and then switch on to other players while he was locking down the center position. I think that's where a lot of big players, like bigger players than Bosch, kind of, well, they weren't as effective as they once had been because they couldn't stretch the floor the way that Bosch was capable of doing. And, and, and you know, obviously they were too slow in plotting and not necessarily as effective uh, at the back-to-basket game, which is very inefficient. You can even go back a little bit further where Brian Grant, very, very undersized, at, at generously listed at 6'8", played the center position going up against guys like Shaquille O'Neal or, or Yao Ming and others. I mean, that that was a huge challenge for Grant, uh, and he did that very, very well while he was in Miami for a few seasons. But obviously, when you look at Miami Heat history, one name probably stands out almost as much as Dwayne Wade's, and that's Alonzo Mornings. Uh, who was a two-time all uh, all defensive player, uh, two-time you know NBA defensive player of the year, a consistent threat to block shots, uh, could guard players out on the perimeter as well, very very effectively. And again, in a different era where he was going up against Patrick Ewing and Dikembe Mutombo and David Robinson, Hakeem Olajuwon, and of course Shaquille O'Neal. So 
Um, you, you take all that into consideration. I don't think there's any other option but Alonzo Mourning that fits here. I agree. That's who I have. I've got Alonzo Mourning. Um, you know, you mentioned all the the accolades and stuff that that he that he had in his career. And I'm glad you brought up the fact that he was able to get out in the perimeter because he was really really quick. Um, despite being the uh, center, I think he. I, look, we don't necessarily need to kind of play the game of what would the starting five look like in today's game. It's not really the point of this. We're not trying to build the best five who could beat the Warriors, essentially. Yeah. We're just trying to pick the best five players in Miami Heat history as far as defense goes and at, at, at their positions. But I think Morning, even on today in today's game, could have been a really good center. I, I think he would have, you know... Been able to switch onto the perimeter yes. against smaller guards and done all those things. He had that. That was in his wheel wheelhouse, as well as being able to, like you said, go against the bigger guys. I mean, there wouldn't have been a, like he could have played up against a Rudy Gobert or a, a Joel Embiid while also switching on to smaller guards like Russell Westbrook yes. or John Wall or whatever he had to do. He would have been able to do. He would have been arguably the the best center in the game right now. I mean, I he was that good, and I think you know we talk about you know, guys from the 90s and, and even before that, would they be able to play in today's game? And there are a few guys that can, and Alonzo Mourning is one of those guys. I he mean, you could argue him. that he might have been better off playing in today's game than he was back then because he would have stood out He was so undersized, because, too. I mean, again, he yes. listed at, at, you know, close to 7 feet, 6'10 for most of his career, 6'11 at some points, but, I mean, he was probably smaller than that. Now, now I'm thinking mm-hmm. about it as you're mentioning these things, and obviously... If you ask the hypothetical, who would you want to be able to guard Steph Curry in today's game? Right. You know, obviously, I think of all the centers in Heat history, Chris Bosh probably does that yes. job better than any other center. But flip the question around, and if you have to go up against Shaq backing down anybody in the low post, who's the best option? Still Alonzo Mourning. So I think mm-hmm. Alonzo gives you the versatility to be able to at least hinder Steph a little bit, if not lock him down the way Bosh probably would. But he would be able to also match up with the physicality of a bigger body like Shaquille O'Neal, Hakeem, and all those others that I mentioned before. I've got Bosch on my all-defensive team. Did you consider play, putting him at center, or how long did you consider making him your starting center and just leaving Alonzo Mourning off completely? Uh, not for very long because, I mean, it, the, the name of Mourning is so synonymous with defense, if nothing else. I, I mean, yeah. I, I remember the art of the block with him. Like, he would always, you know, he blocked shots with that right hand. But he always used that left. As a player went up for a hook shot, he would always put it on their hip just to kind of check them a little bit and drive them back down to the ground. It was so masterfully done. But he would his timing was so good. Absolutely, I mean, it was incredible. Like again, for a smaller body going up against much bigger ones, mm-hmm. is you know, Dikembe was seven foot two with like probably a seven seven wingspan. Uh, Morning did not have those proportions by any stretch of the imagination. But it was all will and determination. I know those kinds of things tend to be a little bit cliched uh, and used that way. But I think with Morning, he was just, he really was such a force by nature because he, he drove himself to be so. It wasn't just about physicality. All right, so we both have Alonzo Morning at center. Didn't really debate a whole, I mean, there like you said, there are a lot of guys in Heat history that you could put there. I mean, the fact that we're leaving Shaquille O'Neal off, and he was tremendous those first, especially those first two years uh, defensively for the Heat. But it, it's Alonzo Morning, and it's everybody else when it comes to Miami Heat history, but um, next we'll discuss who our starting forwards will be, and we'll do that after this quick break. Back with Locked On Heat, we're naming our all-time defensive starting five in Heat history. We've already named Alonzo Mourning as the starting center. Let's move on to the forwards. 
I suppose the best way to do this, David, is let's start with power forward and then we'll do small forward. So power forward, who do you have? You know, I, I didn't look at it as a two forward position like that. I, I you know, you, you had recommended following like a more all NBA format. I don't know that there's Good a point. power forward necessarily that, that fits the bill. You're right. Uh, although, honestly, I, I think that probably the best defensive forward that the Heat have had, it was uh, Alonzo's teammate, and that's P.J. Brown, um, a fantastic defender. Uh, you know, again, the famous quote I've, I've mentioned before from Riley saying that P.J. Brown was the best weak side help defender in the league. That was such a huge plus for Brown, you know, to ha- or for Morning to have Brown like that to make up for whatever mistakes he may have made. A guy who was probably taller than Morning, longer certainly, probably would have fit pretty well in today's game. Uh, not much of an offensive force, obviously, but defensively he could switch. He would, uh, you know, clean up your mistakes. He could block shots. He could body up with a number of players. He was tall. He was long. I, I mean, Brown, I think to me, probably not getting a lot of respect because he was just a cog on that team that was led by Alonzo Mourning and Tim Hardaway, but he was a vital one. And for a team that was creating an identity under Riley in 95, 96, you know, for P.J. Brown to come in when he did and be part of that really defensive-minded, rugged, intense group that was huge, and for me, that's that's just a huge part of why I think PJ is one of the best defensive players in Haiti history. So, in one of my forward spots, I I I really, it came down to PJ Brown and Chris Bosh, and for me, I went with Bosh. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it, I, I could see it. I mean, I I, yeah. I, I totally understand. Go, what's your rationale behind it? Well, I think back to those 2013 NBA Finals against the Spurs and the fact that the Spurs had put an, uh, an offense together where it, with all the side pick and roll and ball movement and just this really kind of took that seven seconds or less Phoenix Suns to that next level and really kind of set the blueprint for what the Warriors eventually became and created the modern offense, essentially, or, or really brought it to the forefront and ended up winning an NBA, almost winning the Finals that year with it and then ended up winning the Finals the next year in 2014 with that offense. And the way that Chris Bosh was able to linchpin that the Heat defense and do the best it could against that Spurs offense was so tremendous. I don't think I've ever seen a guy at the center position like Bosh was um, just move that much. And and just, you know, I, I, I think back to guys who had won Defensive Player of the Year in that same kind of era, like a Marcus Gasol or a Joakim Noah. Yeah. And those guys were so good at just... Being so, and Tim Duncan was this way as well, even though he didn't win Defensive Player of the Year in that in that time. Just really efficient with the way that they moved, but they were limited really to near the rim and in the paint. You know, you look at a guy like Joakim Noah, especially who was just like he just knew where to put his body, and he could take one step and completely blow up an offensive um, set just by being in the right place at the right time. Chris Bosh did that in spades. Like he was doing that not only in the paint but on the perimeter. I mean, the, the whole blitz and show thing that created so much of Miami's offense off of turnovers was all Chris Bosh. I mean, Spolster used to talk about how Bosh was the most important player on the floor, despite there being LeBron and Dwayne Wade as well. Just that, I I don't know if I've ever seen somebody at the center position play that good in an NBA Finals with, at at that, with that level of consistency. It was, it was that special. It really was. I mean, we talk about Alonzo Mourning playing the way he did in the 2006 Finals. He was tremendous. But he was basically coming off the bench, and he had a lot of big moments. He didn't have to play with the consistency that, that Chris Bosh had to do on every play. I mean, that was a lot of people will say that's the greatest NBA Finals, just as quality of basketball-wise, ever played. And a lot of that was because of Chris Bosh. And so I, I just think back to what he was able to do at that level. I know that I'm sort of cheating because he was technically a center. And I don't know 
if we're really following all defensive team rules, if I could even, if he would even qualified, if he would have even qualified as as a forward, yeah. to be honest. But I've still got him as my forward. It's it look, it's it's challenging. I mean, without even having gone into our second selection at forward, there are so many great options there. I mean, you know, if you if you try to follow the the power forward type you know format, you've got yeah. guys like Grant Long, Udonis Haslam. Uh, yep. I mean, the, both of those guys were certainly con- in my consideration, you know, because they guarded bigger players, they guarded smaller players. The original take charge man long kind of created the player that P.J. Brown eventually was, who eventually led to the kind of player Udonis Haslam has been, I mean, and still is. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those things are taken into consideration. And Miami has admirably developed like three and D players ever since Pat Riley was here, and maybe even before that, Keith Askins, uh, Bruce Bowen, you know, Bruce Bowen, yep. James Posey. And even yep. a guy like Shane Battier, who we talked about before. I mean, Battier, he played the three and the four, guarded centers at some points, was allowing LeBron James to kind of roam around on defense because he did so much, because Battier did so much, uh, you know, and allowed James the freedom to do what he wanted on defense. And, and I, I don't think those championship teams happen without Shane Battier. I don't know that you're, that group is as effect, effective or efficient without Battier. Uh, I mean, it's it's tough to, it was tough for me to leave him off uh, my group. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, Battier is one of my honorable mentions. I mean, and for all the reasons you just said, but uh, you you mentioned LeBron James, and he's my other forward. Yeah. I've, and, and despite like LeBron, we knew that he's always wanted to win Defensive Player of the Year, hasn't gotten that award, um, and, and has fallen off defensively these last couple of years in Cleveland. These last few years in Cleveland, um, and we'll see what he does with the Lakers. But you know, I think that's more of a. a him just trying to preserve himself for yeah. the the playoffs. Absolutely, and and we saw that in the last couple of years in Miami too, where he fell off defensively a little bit, but more from preservation, I feel like. But in the playoffs, he was so good. I mean, so look, it, it depends on what you think of an all defensive team. But as for, I, I kind of go, what are, what are these guys' peaks? Like, how good could they have been? And then largely, how good were they uh, when they were really in gear? And LeBron was as good as anybody at the forward position defensively when he was really putting the effort in. I mean, just the way he was able to jump passing lanes. His instincts are so good at that end. We never talk about that. We talk about his instincts and his basketball IQ on the offensive end all the time. Defensively, it's right there. I mean, he just, he gets it. He's able to read um, opposing offenses so well and jump passing lanes and create transition opportunities. And that was really the... The, the impetus of so much of Miami's offense those first few years of the big three. So I've got LeBron James in my other forward. Who do you have? I've got James, too. I mean, for the, all the reasons you just listed, I, I think – look, I, I think I deviated from this uh, when you know, I went with P.J. Brown over Chris Bosh, but I, I can't think of any more impactful player when he was fully engaged, as you mentioned, than LeBron James. I mean, a guy who could block shots, who could body up one through five. Uh, I mean – he could lock anybody down on the perimeter and match up with the strongest of centers when he was fully engaged. He could anticipate passes expertly uh, and finish with a fast break dunk on the other end. Uh, those kinds of things make him so unique as a player, and I think you're absolutely right. I think we tend to think of him as a scorer, as a passer, and a brilliant one at that, and maybe kind of wavering a little bit on defense, but I think it's by design. I think it's it's very hard, and you have to give credit to those players those you know three and D guys that are almost completely locked on on defense because it's so hard to do. So for a guy like James who has to preserve himself for his offense, who's such a necessary part of a team's offense, that defense is sporadic. And but when it's on, it's a beautiful thing. It was amazing to watch the, those Miami Heat teams. You you think about basketball the way it's played now by the Warriors, and as reliant as they are on the three ball, 
it doesn't seem quite as at least to me, as aesthetic, as aesthetically pleasing as those Heat teams were, the way they were able to flip the switch, built on their defense and initiating their offense. I mean, you think about that 27-game win streak yeah. and that that time they were down to a really bad Cavaliers team that was motivated, and they were able to turn it around so quickly. It was such a beautiful thing for that. That team was so good to watch, so much fun, how they could just change things so, so amazingly quickly. I, I'll never forget it. And I think James and his defense was a big part of that. And then offensively, obviously, I mean, LeBron posting up. I mean, I know we're talking about all defensive team, too, but that's something he hasn't done in Cleveland. I don't know if he's going to do that in L.A., no. but his post up and passing with the inverted offense with Bosh coming out to the three-point line, I mean, we, we haven't seen that in that. The Warriors are, fun, are fine to watch, but they're boring compared to those heat teams. <laughs> um, let's move on to uh, the guards. We'll wrap up with our all-time defensive guards when we come back after this break. Back with Locked on Heat, we've covered the all-time defensive front court. Let's move on to the back court now. Um, David, who is so we've got two guards listed here. Tell me one of your guards. You know, it was it, this was really tough. This was really tough because I tried thinking of, you know, again, you, you can't help but fill in the position here, but it, it doesn't necessarily work out that way because you had guys that were ball handlers that could do both, play both guard positions. Mm-hmm. I think of a guy like Kevin Edwards, those early Heat teams, he was a really good stalwart defender, probably a guy who would have fit in a little bit better. In today's league, because he was a little bit taller, but he could, you know, he could steal the ball. He could body up with a number of larger players. There were so many good two guards at that time that I think he was kind of overlooked for his impact. I think in today's league, he probably put a, would have been a guy that you could build around a little bit more. Um, you look at Dan Marley, Thunder Dan. I, I mean, for any longtime Heat fan that might be listening, you think of Dan Marley and his presence as a defender, three-point shooter. On those Heat teams, when Pat Riley first came on board, uh, you know he was a big part of it. Uh, and you know, he wasn't to me a great defender. He was he tried very hard. He could make some impact defensively, but again, he was going to get roasted a lot because there were so many great two guards that could score from Reggie Miller to Michael Jordan, etc. It, it was much more challenging. Um, I, I wound up going with Mario Chalmers. Uh, at, at the guard position, because I think he, I think he was kind of underrated as a defender. I think you know maybe it was because you know we, we think of him with his irrational confidence and his shooting. Uh, I, I thought it was between him or Anthony Carter, Anthony Carter for that second guard spot because I think Carter again, a guy who was a role player on those Heat teams led by Riley. You know, you had Alonzo Mourning, you had Tim Hardaway, and then you had AC kind of fill in there and do a number of things. But he was a really good kind of pesky defender and I think uh, you know he's a guy that he's probably best known for not opting in and allowing Pat Riley to sign Lamar Odom in 2003 but when he was in Miami he was a pretty good defender as well uh, but I went with Chalmers because I think he's got a bigger body. Um, I'll never forget that day when they ended Jeremy Lin's career in New York. Yep. Um, and I think that's something that we we tend to overlook because we think of Chalmers as the guy willing to shoot the ball and and you know it's kind of talk to talk, not necessarily walk to walk. Uh, but and defensively, when engaged, he was amazing. And maybe it was because he was part of that you know great big three era in Miami. But when he was uh, when he was locked in as a defender, he was going to be able to really he was going to poke the ball out of uh, away from you. He was going to initiate the fast break. He was going to do something and create offense based on his defense. And I think that really stands out to me. I mean, this is a guy as a rookie, started all 82 games, averaged two steals per game. Yeah. And uh, despite being a second round pick, by the way, and this is, is and earned his way onto the team and earned a starting spot. 
um, next to Dwayne Wade. And I remember back then looking at Chalmers and being like, wow, the Heat have really got something here. Between Chalmers and Wade, you know, I mean, it looked like between – and they drafted Michael Beasley that year and, and because they missed out on Derrick Rose. But it was like, wow, you know, you miss out on a guard like Derrick Rose who everybody really wanted – but you end up with Chalmers and Beasley, you can have like a, a, a threesome here that could be really, really good going forward. Now, obviously, that necessarily wasn't the case of what happened, but um, when when Pat Riley kind of pulled the plug on that on that team and set the stage for, to sign LeBron and Bosch and create this big three roster, the guy that was left over was Mario Chalmers because they knew that they were going to need him for his defense they're, and they liked his attitude and all those things because he had proven over the past two the, the two years prior that he was a really really good defender and they knew that they were going to need that guy in the backcourt um, when a guy who could shoot when he had to but was gonna was gonna make a name for himself defensively. That said, I didn't have him on here and I'm I'm glad you did because somebody needed to have Chalmers on here. But I ended up going with Eddie Jones. Ah, I figured you would. Uh, you know, I waffled on that one too. I just tend to think that we're thinking of – well, go ahead. I want to hear your perspective on Jones. Well, I also look at – I don't know. I guess I was looking a, a lot at kind of where these guys um, kind of rank in Miami Heat, you know, career leaders. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, the Eddie Jones, for example, 10th in Miami Heat history in blocks. The only other guard, by the way, other than Dwayne Wade. Um, seventh in the top 10. Seventh. In NBA or in Miami Heat history in steals, fourth in Miami Heat history in defensive win shares. I mean, and then you look at what he was able to do. Um, as for, he was just, he was such a good, he was he was a three and D prototype. I mean, he really was in in the way that he was able to shut down guys defensively. He always seemed to be able to draw charges when he had to and make the right play when he needed to. He just seemed like a smart defender who was just so good at just staying in front of people. Yeah, I don't know. I just. I really didn't give a whole lot of thought to this other than I think about the great guards in defensive history in heat history as as far as defense goes and Eddie Jones was kind of the first guy to pop in my head and I just I jotted him down I mean I I can't imagine not having Eddie Jones on this team but you're you were kind of a little more skeptical than I was I, I I looked at some of the stats and you know it's hard to really you know figure it out but I, I you know obviously he was brought on in 2000 um, mm-hmm. where he was supposed to compete alongside Alonzo Mourning and Tim Hardaway, and they had just traded uh, Jamal Mashburn to Charlotte in exchange for Eddie Jones in that sign-and-trade deal. And then, of course, Alonzo uh, went down with his kidney injury, and the team was never really the same. And so I think you know it's unfair to Eddie because he was part of some pretty bad Heat teams that competed maybe because you know it's the Heat. But didn't really, you know, get to any point. And, and then, you know, in, in 2003, he was displaced, and rightfully so, by Dwayne Wade as the leader of the team. And, you know, I, I think when it comes to Jones, I'll never forget a great quote uh, about him. It was it was 20 of the quietest points that you'd ever get. You know, Eddie Jones wasn't a guy who was going to be an eruptive scorer. He wasn't a game changer as a scorer he would get his points because he could, because he was fast, he was quick, uh, he was explosive, and he was a great shooter from the perimeter. And I think a lot of that, though, is, is applicable to his defense as well. Like, he's known for those blocks and those steals, but I think by the time he came to Miami, his best days as a defender were, were over. And I think a lot of that was also because his role was different. You know, once while Alonzo went down, he had to take on a bigger role offensively, probably a bigger role than he was comfortable assuming. And I think his defense kind of fell off as a result. So I think a lot of that reputation as a great defender came from his first stint with the Lakers and probably 
uh, and with the Hornets as well. And I think by the time he came to Miami, he wasn't quite the player that we had expected him to be. And, and you know, that wasn't his fault. It was a different team than the one he was supposed to have joined. Uh, and I, Eddie was a great defender, great scorer and everything else, but just never felt as impactful to me. So it was tough. I, I you know, I really thought about it and, and I just ultimately chose Chalmers instead. Probably a mistake. And maybe I'm just biased because no, I like Chalmers. Never, but. never a mistake to put Chalmers <laughs> in an all time team. Yeah. I, I, you know, Eddie Jones, great part of heat history. You know, I always yeah. loved the, the homecoming aspect from him, that one that probably gets overlooked. He's from Pompano Beach, just north of Miami. And so for him to come to that quote-unquote hometown team was always a nice thing. And he always came, he came back in the later years with Shaquille O'Neal. Never got a chance to win a ring, unfortunately. And that was always something that bothered me. But um, great player while he was here in Miami. But I just felt like his defense was never as impactful as I would have liked it to have been. We've got one more guard spot, and I've got Dwayne Wade. Huh. That's a surprise. I've got... I, really? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, oh, I was like, what? Yeah, no, I've got Dwayne Wade, and so you've got Dwayne Wade as well. Yeah, nah, I think this So, I, I mean, no this it. one's obvious. First first all-time in Heat history in defensive win shares. First all-time in Heat history in steals. Second all-time in, def- in, in Heat history in blocks, behind, obviously, only Alonzo Mourning. Uh, and number and the the greatest shot blocking guard in my in, in NBA history. Look, I, I think a lot of maybe younger listeners or people that may, didn't get a chance to watch Dwayne Wade early in his career. I mean, this is a guy who obviously could. He was he was ahead of the curve as a rookie offensively and was a twenty four points per game score by his second season, but defensively is where he really stood out, I thought, early in his career. I mean, he was just so fast and yeah. it did such a good job jumping passing lanes, creating opportunities for himself and creating easy offense for the Heat. A guy who has averaged two-plus steals per game twice in his career is always uh, one of the only guys who has ever, at a, at a guard spot, averaged you know more than one steal and more than one block per game for a majority of his career. He was so disruptive defensively. I, there's just no way you can't have him on this on this roster. Yeah, I mean that, that says it all pretty much. Um, you know, I can only add that for me, Wade uh, created my probably myopic perspective on how to define what the term superstar is. Like, I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. very vague, and obviously, it's very inherently subjective. Um, but I think of a superstar as above an all-star or just a star type player, but a superstar is one that can change the course of a game almost single-handedly. And to me, as great as LeBron James is, I think Dwayne Wade was capable of those moments just as much. Uh, you know, this was a guy who could, as you said, block a shot, steal the ball, impact shut down an, an opposing top team mm-hmm. score uh, you know and, and just create offense for himself obviously like we tend to we tend to think of him as being the playmaker scorer dunker you know shooter that he that he is and was but defensively he was so special and i mean obviously you know we talked about it in the big 3 era when you had so much great talent around there that kind of he didn't have to be a, a consistent defender for 48 minutes it just wasn't necessary you needed to turn it on but when he did it was as great and magical as you could have expected it to be. But early in his career, I mean, I'm glad you brought up that point because it really is true. He just he could change the course of a game, especially during those two MVP seasons you know, in 2008, 2010. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was amazing to watch him play, uh, you know, being able to change a game from one minute to the next. There didn't seem like any deficit where he couldn't just kind of reverse it and, and carry the team back on his shoulders. And I think a lot of that 
was from his defense. We tend to think of it from his offense, clutch shots and everything else. But his defense was such a huge part of that. And that's why, I, you know, that's why Wade is the best player in Heat history. So, honorable mention, you, you've talked about a few different guys uh, so far that you've considered. But if you had to name one honorable mention, who would it be? Like the, the sixth man, maybe, of the defensive team. It's, it's Chris Bosh for the same reasons that you put him on the yeah. team. Uh, you know, I, I kind of flop between him or Udonis. But since you have Bosh on the team, I hope you have Udonis because he was just, you know, again, that gritty guy who was willing to do it all. Um, but for Bosch, I mean, he was capable of doing it all. You know, being able to lock you down on the on the perimeter, body up with the with a bigger back to the basket type players. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't his forte. You know, it was, he wasn't brought to Miami for his defense. It was because of his offense. You know, he was a twenty plus point per game scorer, and he was supposed to change the game that way. And then he kind of redefined himself as a unique defender and one that I think we could still have in today's game. You could plug him into any oh, team easily. at his peak and he would be an impactful all NBA type player. I had uh I had Shane Battier. There you go. Um you know just his ability to guard four different positions, five different positions sometimes. I mean at his peak when he was really engaged, but mostly like he was he was between your forward, all your forwards positions could guard the two guard a little bit. You mentioned he could he even had to guard opposing centers every so often and he was able to do it. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, wasn't flashy. No. Just sort of carried the water, <laughs> yeah. did what he had to do, picked up the assignments nobody else wanted, really picked up the assignment LeBron James didn't want. And and he was just really good. I mean, you, you mentioned they probably don't win that. He was the missing piece. You know, after the final, after the Heat lost the finals to the Mavericks, they brought in Shane Batty. He was the missing piece, and they needed him uh, to go ahead and win those next two finals. And so um, he, he was big, and I had I had to make him my honorable mention. Another... An honorable mention to the honorable mention, Justice Winslow is really damn good. He's really good. Yeah. And the, I really, I considered putting him on this list. He is really, really good. I, I He's on my list as far as forwards are concerned. I had him, yeah. Posey. And, uh, I even yeah. included y- Yakuba Diawara. You remember him? He was pretty solid. Yeah. Um, Lamar Odom, by the way, had a huge season that one year in he Miami. Did. He was a great defender. He did. He was another guy who probably could have evolved into a Bosch-type yes. role, guarding every front court position and maybe yeah. even some guards as well. Because he had the quickness. He had the length. And he had the ability to block shots, too. He just, you know, he never really needed to in, in L.A., but uh, in Miami, it was great that they brought out that side to him. But Battier was just a tremendous player, too. So I'm glad you included him on that list. All right. Well, that's all we have for today. Thank you for listening. Uh, we enjoyed this uh, a lot. We'll be posting um, our all-time offensive team as well as our all-time rookie team. Uh, at some point this summer in the coming weeks. So be on the lookout for those two. Uh, as always, you can reach us by email at lockdownheat at gmail.com or on Twitter by using the hashtag AskLOHeat. Support the show by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash lockdownheat. Music is courtesy of Mojave Wild. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes. <laughs>